How are you doing today? Good. Wow. If I was doing the announcements, we'd still be worshiping. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's why they don't let me do it, because, you know, I'd exhaust the team. As Elizabeth was uh, sharing, she was just talking. I don't know if she was really, I mean, I know we know what we're saying, but something jumped out at me, and she said, words, uh, speak words of uh, encouragement to one another. And I want to read to you what the scripture says. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now let's just stop for a minute and break that down. Let no corrupt words come out of your mouth, right? Don't talk don't say bad things, right? But what does it say? It says, what is good for necessary edification, what did Elizabeth say? Encourage one another, right? Encourage one another. So we're here, you're here, we're all gathered together in the building today because we want to encourage one another. We want to speak words of encouragement to one another that it might do what? Because there's a purpose behind it. We don't just speak encouraging words to one another for the heck of it. Because we want to look good on the outside. There's a purpose and there's a plan behind us speaking encouraging words to others. And scripture is very clear. That it may impart grace to the hearers. So when we speak a word of edification, when you say to somebody, hey, good job. You're, you're going to be a great dad. You're this, that. Whatever it is, whatever word of edification, encouragement you can speak, when you say that, It actually imparts to that person the grace to do what you've just said that they can do. I'm not making this up, guys. This This is scripture. What is grace? Let's hold up now. We said that when we speak a word of encouragement, it imparts grace to the hearers. What is grace? Real quick, real quick, uh, one that you'll never forget, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Right, But what is it? Let's, let's go a step further. Grace is the ability to do that thing which you cannot do on your own. It's God's strength in your life to do what needs to be done. So when I say, hey, you're going to be a great dad, I'm actually imparting grace. I'm giving the power of God... I don't have that power. I don't have that power. I don't have that power. But when I tell someone, you're going to be a great dad, the power of God is delivered. I become a channel. The power of God comes from heaven and it is imparted so that that individual can be a great dad, a great mom, a great whatever. What are your words of edification? Who are you edifying? Who are you building up? Who are you speaking to? What positive words can you say today? Most of us don't believe positive words. Most of us don't believe positive words when they're spoken. Uh, Something says it's something like you need seven positive words to overcome one negative word. Most people. I think that that can vary. I grew up in I grew up in an, in an atmosphere uh, where sometimes encouraging words weren't all that 
all, the, all that plentiful, but the negative words were, were there a lot. So I don't know that that applies to me. Somehow I came out with a positive attitude. I got my mom's positive attitude. I got it from her. Don't, don't depend on what was. Don't say, hey, I grew up like this and I can't be that. Don't. The past is the past is the past. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. You no longer have any excuse. Just start today encouraging words. Start today encouraging words. Start today edifying words. Start today. Start today. I, I, I'm, I'm however, 80-some years old. I don't know who the oldest person in here is. doesn't matter. I'm 80-some. No, it doesn't matter. Start today. Speak encouraging words. Speak encouraging words. Speak encouraging words. Every time we do, we impart the power of heaven. It's not, we don't do this by our own strength, guys. It's him. It's God who gives us strength. This is the greatest cheat code in history. <laughs> For those of you guys who are gamers, you know cheat codes. This is a cheat code. This is the greatest cheat code ever, right? Just speak encouraging words to one another, and all of a sudden, people around you can do incredible things. Why? It's the grace of God. Wow. Oh, somebody better grab a hold of that. Somebody better take that home. Amen? Hey, wow. This morning's message should have been entitled, The Gift of Love. Except that we'd have to be here a lot longer. <laughs> The love of God is just amazing. Wow, 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 wow. What a, what a moment in the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen? That was so good. So good. So good. I could have just, oh, told you, I could have just sat there. I was, just, I was leaning back. I don't know if anybody else was. But I was leaning back into Jesus, and I didn't need to go anywhere. I didn't need to get up and speak. You probably, if you were leaning back into Jesus, you didn't need to hear me get up and speak today. I'll speak, because the Lord's given me some stuff to say. He's told me that I should. The love of God. I challenge you right now. If you don't know the love of God, just start to search out the love of God. Just start to search it out. Make it your life's goal. You know, sometimes there's things that we do for a minute Sometimes there's things that we do for a week or, or 40 days or, or a month or sometimes we have things like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dedicate myself to this thing for, for a whole year. The lo- I'm here to tell you today, the love of God is worth dedicating your entire life to finding out. The love of God is worth dedicating your entire life to finding out. God is a lover. You know, we think all these things about God. How many of them are true? We think that he's judgment. He, he's full of judgment. We think that he's this. We think that he's that. We think, we think, we think. I'll tell you what I know. I know that God is a lover. I know he's a lover. He's a lover first and foremost. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I just want to pray, and then I'll jump into today's message. I just want to pray that the love of God would roll over you even now, all day, even as I speak about joy today, that you would be impacted with the love of God, that your heart would be enlarged by the love of God this morning. 
that your soul would, would have healing this morning because of the love of God that's being poured out right now. I pray for physical manifestations because the love of God is being poured out right now. Physical manifestations, even in your body, as the love of God is being poured out right now. The love of God, the love of God, the love of God. More of his heart. More of his heart in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, hey, today we're talking about the gift of joy. I want to talk about joy. I've talked about it a lot in the past. Last week we talked about what gift might you bring to Jesus. Today, the gift of joy. God gives us gifts, the gift of salvation, the gift of love, the gift of peace. We'll talk about peace next week. The gift of joy. Joy is yours. If you've accepted Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, joy is yours. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. When someone gives you a gift, it's yours. But you can't use it until you unwrap it and open it up and take it out of the box. You can't use it until you unwrap it. And so I want to encourage you to unwrap the gift of joy this morning and make it part of your life. Let's jump into Scripture and see what it says. Luke 2, 8 through 10. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all of the people. Great joy, good tidings, good news, good news of great joy, which will be for everyone. Are you anybody? Are you, any, are you somebody? Or everybody, this is for all of you. If, I don't care if you're, you're here or there or anywhere. If you're breathing today, this good news is for you. And it's good news of great joy that has come for you. It's for everyone. What am I doing? I'm giving you all of the Christmas stories before we even get to Christmas. We talked about the wise men last week. We're talking about the shepherds this week. What's left? Side note, uh, uh, caught Bill Johnson's message this, this week from last Sunday. He preached the same message I did. He talked about the three kings, just like or the wise men, just like I did, right? It's funny. His first message at 8 a.m. Pacific time would actually be about an hour after I spoke. I'm not saying nothing, but... <laughs> God is good. God is good. Joy, great joy to everyone. For there, and here's the joy. For there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. G David. <laughs> uh, glory to God. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. David prayed and said, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. This is the joy that the Savior is born, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And there was suddenly with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the, I'm just going to continue reading. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. Now when they 
had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and they had seen as it was told them. They glorified God. The one thing that we continually see throughout the Christmas story is worship. We talked about the wise men last week. They came, what they do? They worship God. Here's the shepherds. They're told. They go. They see. It's just as the angel said. What do they do? They return glorifying and praising God. They're worshiping God again. Everything that's going on here is resulting in worship. The, uh, it says uh, when, the, when the shepherds found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes was what they used to use to, to wrap up a baby lamb when it was born prematurely or when it was born and it, it might not make it. They wrapped it in swaddling clothes. And so this is what they found Jesus in. They would have known what that is right from the bat because they're shepherds. And what, what, what happens? The multitude of heavenly hosts breaks through the natural realm breaks through into the natural realm. They're in the spiritual realm. They break through. You're, they're seen in the physical realm and they glo- give glory to God in the highest. They give glory to God. They give glory to God. They worship. All of heaven comes through to earth to worship. Wow. (laughs) It's good stuff, guys. Joy. Joy, 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 joy. John 15, 9. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The abiding place is where we live from. It's not just to stay there. We actually come to a place where we live from that place. When it says to abide in the love of God, it's not simply like, oh, just go camp out there for a bit. No, it's exist there and live from that place. John 15, 9, he's saying abide in my love. He had just gone through this whole idea between the vine and the branches, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. They're connected. If the branch is cut off from the vine, it wilts and it dies. If we don't remain, live in the love of God, we will dry up. When you, when, if you were to take underneath the microscope, you know, you think branch, vine, right? It's pretty simple. If you were to take underneath the microscope and look at the vascular tissue that runs from the branch into the vine, it's really hard to tell where one stops and the other begins. Remain in my love. Abide in my love. This is what abiding is. Am I loving like me or am I loving like Jesus? Yes. Yes. Why? Because I'm abiding. Then Jesus says, these things that I have spoken to you that, watch, my joy, my joy, it's Jesus' joy, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, 
I'm spoken all of these things to you so that my joy, God's joy, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one and three, three and one, God's joy might remain in you. It's his joy. He gives it to us freely. And then what does he do? It's in us, and then he says that your joy may be full. It's his. He gives it to us freely, without cost, without price, without anything. And then, once, it's, once he gives it to us, he calls it ours. I have a phone. It's my phone. I give it to my daughter. It's still my phone, because it's my phone. That's not the way God gives. It's his joy, and when he gives it, it's no longer his. It's now mine. This is the way God gives. It's no longer his. It's no longer his. We get it from God. He gives it to us and he calls it ours. It's my joy. So now I get it from him and then what do I do? I can do whatever I want with it. I can use it. I can share it. I can give it away. Just like he did. Hebrews 1, 8 through 9. But he says to the son, your throne Oh God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. This is speaking of, of Christ and who he was and what he accomplished in Hebrews. Is the, scepter, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Jesus was the most joyful person we've ever seen walk the planet. Nobody will ever be more joyful than he was. He has all the joy. And he gives it freely to us. He gives it freely to us. Joyful are those you discipline. Psalm 94, verse 12. Joyful are those you discipline, Lord. Those you teach with your instructions. How many of you know that discipline leads to joy? When we were, uh, when we were young parents and our kids were real little, people called us, uh, called us stuff like tyrants, drill sergeants, you know, we're so strict. Well, let me tell you something. We had some of the happiest kids going, and we still do to this day. Discipline creates joy. Giving your kids understanding of where their boundaries are lets them know where they can perform and what they can do and what they can't do. And so discipline brings joy in our life. On top of that, when God disciplines us, God knows the operating system of that which he has created. He created me. When a car manufacturer creates a car, they give you an owner's manual, tells you how to drive it, right? God created me. He made this body. He made this spirit. He made this soul. It all works together in unity. And this, his instructions, tell me how it works. This is the operating manual. Go and do this. His discipline, his instructions, it brings joy, you go out there in your car and you start hammering on the thing and you don't change the oil for 15,000 miles, your motor's going to seize up. That's going to cost you $8,000. Does that sound like fun? Nobody wants that. But if you were to read the manual, you know. You know, you got to change the oil every three or 5,000 miles, depending on what the you know, manufacturer recommends. You can't drive it like, you know, you stole it. You can't, you can't do that. I mean, you can. You're just going to suffer the consequences. You give them relief from troubled times. 
until a pit is dug to capture the wicked. God gives us relief in the midst of our difficult times. He doesn't wait until it's over to give us joy. He gives us joy in the midst of it. We get joy right through the valley. This is where it says, consider it pure joy when you come into various trials. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. God is with us. God is with us. Psalm 23 says that God prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. Do we believe that? Do we believe, right? God prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. We get in the midst of our enemies and all we want to do is run. Like, I can't be here. No, God puts you there. He gave you a table there. He's feeding you there. And all we want to do is run from those places. We're supposed to love our enemies. You have to have some if you're going to love them. We're not just supposed to walk through, the, through with, with no trials, no tribulation, no enemies. That's not the plan. The plan is that you get around people that don't know Christ and you share the love of God with them. God prepares a table there. He feeds you there. He gives you words there that you're to give to those that are there, those enemies, if you want to call them, and you love them the whole way through. And there's joy. <laughs> Glory to God. So we see this one aspect that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15. And it says that uh, when you obey my commandments, right, my joy will remain with you. I want to go back and read Nehemiah chapter 8. I've just cut a little clip here. So I'm going to read it and then I'll comment and then I'll, I'll point out some things. It says, and Nehemiah, who was go the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all of the people, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn nor weep. For all of the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Whose joy is it? It's God's joy. What does he do? He gives it to us. It's a gift. Once he gives it to us, whose, whose joy is it? It's mine. I had somebody ask me one time. I've been talking about joy forever. I had somebody ask me one time. They said, whose joy is it? It depends on what, where it's at. If the joy's still on its way, it's God's. Once it hits me, it's mine. That's what he said. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> God goes, Scripture tells us that God goes, he fights a battle for us. He does all the fighting. We might pray, we might worship. He does all the fighting. And then when there's victory, he gives us credit. This is God. The mercy and the grace of God. I want to just, Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to I just pause here for a moment. And I want to give you context of what, what was going on, what the people, why the people were sorrowful, and they had to be told, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Israel had been in captivity for a few hundred years. For 192 years, they had tried to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they could not do that. They, they could not successfully do it. Nehemiah shows up, and in 52 days, 100 years, 52 days, they successfully 
build the wall, hang the gates, close the doors, and make the city safe. Miracle. Talk about your miracles. This is a miracle. They had been trying to build the wall for over 100 years. And now in just 52 days, less than two months, 100 years, less than two months. Miracle. Somebody say miracle. Miracle. There, and there was opposition. Nehemiah comes. He starts building the city. Sanballat and Tobiah and the other guy. Never remember his name. They come on down and they're like, Hey, they, <laughs> they write an open letter, social media. They write an open letter, and they say, hey, you better stop what you're doing. Open letter. It came open so that everybody could read it all the way on the way. Nehemiah says, I ain't got time for this. They, they rebuild the walls. In rebuilding the walls and clearing away the, the rubble, they have now the law. They either found it or they got a copy of it. And for the first time in hundreds of years, they're going to read the law so that the people can hear it. Imagine not having your instruction manual. And then one day, we find a copy. And we're like, hey, this is what the word says. This is what Jesus said. For the first time in your life, because it had been over 100 years, for the first time in your life, you're hearing the scriptures read. You've, always, you've dedicated yourself to the Lord because that's what the Jewish people did. But they'd never heard the law read. Not in over 100 years. They'd never heard the law read. And so it says that they wept because they now understood what they were supposed to do and what they were not doing and what they were unable to do. They wept because the law had been read which said, make sure that you do this, make sure that you don't do that, make sure that you do this, make sure that you don't do that. And the people wept because they were doing this and they weren't doing that. They were doing all the wrong things. They wept because they had no strength within themselves to do what God asked them to do. They had no strength within themselves to not do the things that God told them not to do. And Nehemiah and Ezra and the scribes and the Levites say, they stop the people and they say, do not weep. For this day is holy to the Lord. Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Have a party. Have a celebration. Send portions to those who don't have any. You know, somebody's hungry. Somebody doesn't got a lamb to kill for the party. Go give them some. You're having Christmas dinner and the neighbor's not. Go send them, go send them a plate. Send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They had just heard the law. They weep because they are unable to fulfill the law. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's God's joy that gives you strength to obey what God's asked you to do. <laughs> we're waiting. We're waiting until we come to the point where we're being obedient before we enter into joy. And, and Nehemiah says, no, that's the wrong way to go about it. Because the strength comes, the grace comes, God's strength comes when you enter into the joy ahead of time. 
It comes back to grace. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You never did. You're never gonna. Even after all of that, you still don't deserve it. The joy of the Lord gives us strength to do that which the Bible requires, that which grace demands. That's which Jesus asked us to do. You say, I can't do this, I can't do that. Get the joy of the Lord. You're gonna wanna do it. You're gonna actually wanna do it. You're gonna, you're gonna be cutting out everything else so that you can do that one thing that you know that you gotta do that God's putting on your heart. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's reading your Bible, maybe it's worship. Romans 14, 17 says this, it says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, Paul's talking about food, right? He's going on about food, don't eat this. If it stumbles with your person, you know, your friend, but you know, if you're going, don't, don't worry about eating it. You can eat anything you want, really. Just, you know, if it's gonna stumble somebody else that's around you, don't eat that thing, right? And then he says this in the middle of it. He says, the kingdom of God is not in eating or drinking. Doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink. The kingdom of God comes and it's righteousness, peace, and joy from the Holy Spirit. What did Paul say about righteousness? Paul, the apostle Paul, after he had been, you know, his whole life dedicated to God from birth, what did he say about his own righteousness? My, whole, my own righteousness is as filthy rags. Everything that I can bring and say, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this, all of that is trash. It's actually garbage. My righteousness, it comes from Christ. So the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness, where do we get righteousness? We don't, it, it doesn't come from us. We don't, we don't, yes, we endeavor to live righteous, but Paul says our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness comes from Christ. Where does our, and peace, where does our peace come from? I'm gonna give you a little hint from next, for next week. Jesus. And where does our joy come from? Jesus. <laughs> The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. When we are living from the kingdom, we have righteousness, we live in righteousness, we live in peace, and we live with joy. Are we living from the kingdom? Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. When we truly seek first the kingdom of God and to live from the kingdom of God and live for the kingdom of God, Everything else that we need in our life will be added to us, including joy. As, as a matter of fact, it's one of the first things. Joy is an expression of the kingdom. If you are living from the kingdom, you are going to manifest joy in your life. You don't, it, it's like an apple tree with apples. You don't have to try. You, you don't sit there and be like, joy. That's not how you get it. That's not how you get it. You live in the kingdom of God and from the kingdom of God and joy just manifests itself. You start living in the kingdom of God and your frown gets turned upside down. You can't help but start smiling. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is going to be flowing through you and exuding from you. This is what it means to live, this is what it means to have the joy of God. You don't, I don't wake up and think to myself, okay, God, be joyful today. No. I live in the kingdom of God. I live from the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is my Lord. 
You can only live in the kingdom in areas where you've made Jesus Lord. A kingdom has a king. Have you made Jesus king? Every area that you've made Jesus king over your life, you'll live in the kingdom from that spot. If you haven't made Jesus Lord or king over your life in a specific area, you can't have joy in that area. That's kingdom principles. The king is only king where we give him authority. It's our decision whether or not we want to give him authority. And the problem that we have is that a lot of times we give him authority over 75% of our life. 85% of our life. But we hold back 25%. We hold back 15%. And what we hold back, we can't live from the kingdom in that area. What's that area? I don't know. What, what, what's your hang up? Joy is an expression of the kingdom. When we're living in the kingdom, joy is what we're going to look like. Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. There's a, there's a, a mirror, a mirror um, uh, passage from Matthew 11. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I want to talk, I just want to talk a little bit about the kingdom. Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. I have water at hand. How's it taste? I don't know, I haven't drank it. Are you thirsty? I'm very thirsty. But there's water at hand. I know. Isn't that fantastic? I'm really thirsty. But there's water at hand. I know. Isn't that awesome? I'm really thirsty. Why am I thirsty? Because although the water is at hand, I haven't drank it. In order for me to not be thirsty anymore, I have to make use of what is at hand. And now my thirst is quenched. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right now. When Pilate questioned him and said, are you a king? Jesus answered and said, yes. And he said, my kingdom is not from here. If my kingdom were from here, my disciples would fight for me. But now my kingdom is not from here. What is he saying? He says, my kingdom is not a natural kingdom. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He says here, the law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. And since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. The kingdom of God has been at hand. And many are pressing into it. The word pressing there in the Greek is biazo. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 11 for violence. So the word, it's not like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just pressing into the kingdom. We don't just sit back and relax and be like, hey, I'm in the kingdom. Woo. It's this, it is actually a violent contending for us to be in the kingdom. It's the same word as the word, it is, it is sought for, the kingdom of God has to be sought for with the most ardent zeal and the most intense exertion. This is what it means to be pressing into the kingdom. You can't be lighthearted about it. You can't be slack about it. 
You're not going to get into the kingdom and live from the kingdom if you're just like, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. No, you're not in. You're not going to be living from there. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you're not going to experience all that the kingdom has to offer here on the earth. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You've got to live from the kingdom if you want to experience the kingdom. You have to press into the kingdom. Press in. Sought after it with ardent zeal and intense, intense exertion. Pressing into the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It's the same word. It's not complacent. There's, there's, no, there's no like, oh, you know, well, you know, I'm in. No, get in. Be, be steadfast. Be immovable. Press in. Press, press, press. Press in. We're supposed to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And again, it's not this like, it, the only thing that I can relate this to, and forgive me if you don't like hunting, but the only thing that I can really relate this to, waiting on the Lord, is when, you, when you're waiting on watch when you're hunting. Now, I've, I've hunted for years. I've never gotten anything. It's terrible. I'm a terrible hunter. I'll give you that information ahead of time. But, you know, so because I've never gotten anything, I read a lot. And I'm like, all right, how do I get the deer? How do I get the deer? How do I get the deer? And one of the things that they say is that you have to be fully alert and fully watching. And it's at, one of the things that I read said, you have to pay attention to even the very slightest movements. And so I'm sitting on my watch and I'm like this. I'm not going to blink because I don't want to miss it. And then I see a leaf move and I'm like. Oh. Squirrel. I see something else move. Squirrel. I'm telling you, the squirrels while I'm hunting, I don't know, I'm sent by, sent by Satan himself. <laughs> Waiting on the Lord is not this passive thing where we're just like, oh. no, the watchmen on the wall are to watch intently. You know, I you can see in the movie Titanic maybe, right, those guys that are up in the, the, the crow's nest and they're watching for the iceberg because this is the way they did it back then. They're watching. They don't, they're not like, oh, hey, you know, good coffee, this is that, and joking, and, and, and then like, no, don't see nothing. You know, I'll, I'll look in another five minutes. No, you watch, and you don't ever take your eyes off the water. You're a watchman on the wall. You get on that wall, and you watch, and you glue your eyes to that horizon. You just keep watching, and you don't ever take your eyes down. You're out there. You're going to go hunting. If you want to actually catch something, which I haven't, you need to make sure that you fix your eyes and you watch every single movement. It's very, very active. Waiting on the Lord is not passive. Yeah. 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 I'm just waiting for the Lord. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, Lord. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. When we're living in and from God, the kingdom of God, the spirit of God, when we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our life, God starts putting his finger on stuff and says, lay that down. Don't eat that anymore. 
go see that person. Do this, do that, do this. When we start to live from that place, joy will be our portion. Joy will be our portion. Joy will be our portion. What does the Bible say? It says, uh, you know, don't let your heart condemn you. When God puts something in your heart, God put that in your heart for you to do, not for you to think about. Too many times we think about things for too long. Is it the Lord? Is it the Lord? Is it the Lord? Test it quickly. I'm not saying that we shouldn't test it, but move on it quickly. Pray and ask the Lord, God, when do you want me to do that? You want me to do that now? We can ask the Lord these questions. I had a dream one time. I'm, I just, I want to, uh, we can ask the Lord questions. You know, there's two stories in the account of uh, the annunciation of John the Baptist's birth and the annunciation when the angels came to announce to Zechariah John the Baptist was going to be born. And the angels came and they announced to Mary that, that Jesus was going to be born to her. And they both asked a very similar question. How can this be? But they asked it two different ways. I mean, you can read the words and they're, they're almost verbatim. It really, I think, comes down back more to attitude. The way that John asked, um, John's father asked, and the way that Mary asked. It's the heart. I had a dream recently. Uh, and I don't, I don't get God dreams all the time. This was a God dream. And I, and I had the dream and I didn't really understand it. And then same night, about 15 minutes later, I don't know, I could, I could tell you, it may have been an hour later, I had the same dream again. And so I knew it was a God dream. And so I asked God and I said, God, uh, there were certain things in the, in the dream and I don't want to give you all the details of the dream. Um, but in the dream, I said, God, is, is it this? And he said, no. And then... I said, because I wanted to have understanding for the dream because I knew that the dream was very important for the individual who it was. And so I, I said, God, is it this? And he said, no. And I said, God, is it that? Because the two things immediately entered my spirit when I saw the dream. Is it, it could be this and it could be that. And then I said, is it this? And he said, no. And I said, is it that? And he said, no. And I didn't have any other questions to ask. I mean, obviously, I'm kind of asking in my spirit always, God, what does this mean? But the interpretation's not coming. It's for someone else. And it's okay if I give a dream that I have no interpretation for. But those two questions that I asked were very important for me to ask to be able to deliver the dream to the person with those answers. And so I had the dream, and I asked the question. And I told the person the, I told the, person the dream, the whole dream, nothing but the dream. And then I told him the two questions that I asked and the answers that I got. And I said, I don't know what it means. I said, I'll pray with you for it. You pray. And, you know, hopefully God is delivering you a message about, you know, whether it's a warning or a preparation or whatever is coming. So that's the dream. That's the way it works sometimes. I ask questions and I get answers, but I don't get full knowledge because God wants to speak to the other person as well as he wants to speak to me. And so God will give you a prompting in your heart. God will give you something in your heart that you're to do. And you can ask the Lord, God, do I do this now? Yep. <laughs> but God, I'm uncomfortable. So? I don't know about you when you hear the Lord, but a lot of times it's like one word answers. No? No? Yep? No? So? <laughs> I know what he's saying. The Lord speaks to me in very short words many times. 
But when I am tuning my ear to hear the voice of the Lord and I'm moving in response to what he's saying, this is another way that I can live from the kingdom. The whole purpose behind Christianity, the whole purpose behind Jesus coming and dying on the cross is that God could be with us and be our God. That the Holy Spirit would be in us, working and willing for his good pleasure. That he would speak to us and we would know what to do. He would be the comforter. He would be the counselor. He would be our advisor. He would be our advocate. He is all of these things. But we have to learn to listen. Bill Johnson says, uh, principles are only necessary when we're not hearing from the Lord. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, everything, the, all the principles, right? When God speaks to us, he never violates the principles that are there. So it's important for us to know the principles so that when we hear God speak, we know that it's him speaking. God's not going to speak and violate the principles. But we don't need to outline our life with the principles, we outline our life by with what God's speaking. It never violates the principles. And then when we get to a period of time when God, we don't hear God speaking, we go back and we, we drill into the principles and we say, okay, God, where did I go wrong? Okay, God, what was the last thing I heard you say? The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I did teach you guys a song. I hope you remember it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just sing it through. Keep singing it through. And I'm not, I'm just, joy. So when we live from the kingdom, when we live in the Spirit, joy is our portion. Peace is our portion. Love is our portion. When we live in the spirit, when we live with God, when we live from the kingdom, we actually get the strength to be faithful, faithfulness. We actually have the power to be gentle in what we do, gentleness. When we live in and from the kingdom, we actually have the ability to have self-control. We, we get the strength to be able to have patience when we're living from the kingdom. Pray with me, Father, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for the gift of joy that you've given us, Lord. God, this week, I pray that you would help us all to receive your joy. God, you give it to us freely. God, help us to receive your joy in abundant measure. God, that we would daily come to your throne to receive the good gifts that you have for us. And that, God, we would have joy, unspeakable joy. That it would just flow out of us, God. That we wouldn't even have to think about it, but that you would just do it. That you would give us joy. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to share joy with everyone we meet. God, that as we walk into places, as we're, as we're here and as we're there, God, I pray that joy would emanate from us. And that we would share that joy that you've given us with everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.